happy Wednesday and welcome back to the Rocketeer Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday for the past 115 episodes, we've been going over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, the airplane nerd from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, working at the Experimental Aircraft Association. And Jim, we're back uh, for uh, another day of uh, special episodes, and uh, I think uh, I think I hear a little bit of noise about who's joining us today. You're listening to a special Joe Johnston episode of the Rocketeer Minute. Once again, here are Hal Bryan, Jim O'Kane, and director Joe Johnston. Yes, that definitely. Thank you, uh, Jordan Rich, for that great uh, intro and fanfare. Uh, but uh, can, please continue, Hal. Well, uh, joining us today, uh, not only uh, Joe Johnston returning for uh, uh, for number three in, in this uh, series of uh, very special episodes of the Rocketeer Minute, but a returning guest, uh, screenwriter Danny Bilson. So, Joe and Danny, thank you both so much for taking time to join us. So glad to be here. Likewise. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is a ridiculous privilege on our part, and that's, that's the only words I've got for it. Uh. Well, at least you, you, you've got those of us that are still alive. <laughs> Literally. There's a few. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, we're, we're, just, we're just glad to have you all here. This is like one of those um, uh, sweeps week special matchups. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. WrestleMania version of the Rocketeer. Uh, oh, good. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad we can get together to talk about uh, a lot of a lot of questions we get from uh, from our, our listeners about the show, how how, how the movie came together. Um, Danny, we talked with you and with Paul about how how you guys put the move your part of the movie together. But uh, we're being really interested in finding out the interaction between you and Joe and all that pre-production <laughs> stuff that you had to slog through before you actually get to put something in in a camera and film it. Um, sure. Well, uh, one of the things we'd like to talk about, uh, uh, Dan, we talked previously about how you and Paul were on this uh, were on this assignment for forever, I guess, before before we got to uh, uh, to Joe being there. Um, if I remember correctly, Bill Deere had been working on some, uh, on, on pre production for the the previous movie um, before Joe came on the scene. Could you go over that transition? Yeah, well, as I remember it, because we worked with Bill for a few years in a draft, but after um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was such a big hit, um, and I really wasn't involved in what went one way or the other with Bill, and I don't even remember, to be honest with you, but I do remember that Honey was a big hit, and they said, um, I, I really, honestly, I'll say this again, I don't remember why what happened with Bill, but... Bill was off it, and then Joe was coming onto it, and I remember Joe coming over to meet us at our offices at Warner Brothers, and we went to work. And I remember working in our office there with Joe quite a quite a few times um, as he started to put the movie together with his vision and uh, get it off the ground. But I do I definitely remember a lot of meetings at our office at Warner Brothers with Joe. Yeah, so do I. It was <laughs> it was like an endless process. Yeah, <laughs> of of you know sitting in that room and yelling at each other, sometimes in a, in a friendly manner. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, that's where that's where all the heavy lifting was done. I think by these two guys, for sure. Well, I also recall that Disney in those days would give us really long notes that we would <laughs> we would get these 
reams of papers, and they were never said who they were from. It would just be this long list of critiques. And a lot of what we had to do with Joe was go through these notes and say, what are we going to do? What are we not going to do? And sometimes we would say, whose note is this? Because if it was, it, we needed to know if it was kind of Katzenberg's note or not. You know, it was like it was like who was the boss was, or if it was just coming from somebody in development. They never tell you whose note it is. No. You know, um, but like all studio notes, they have to be translated first of all. You have to try to figure out what they really mean. Right. You know, because you you have to understand that the the. The person who's sitting in the room saying the note isn't the person who then goes and types out types it all up later and sends it out to us. You know, so they're it's a, it's a little bit like playing a game of telephone. You know, you you never know exactly what you're being asked to do. So you have to find out what the PA heard when somebody else was telling yeah. you to type this down and exactly. bring it over there. Well, often you just want to find out what the concern was so that you can address the concern. Because mm -hmm. the, the most difficult notes are the ones where they tell you how to solve the problem. And that's, right. where, that's where it can get difficult. But it's usually sorting out the concern. But back, like I said, I remember spending a lot of time at night, probably, in that office at Warner Brothers, working with Joe on, on getting the script in shape. Do you remember some of the biggest toothaches and all that? I mean, you know, like like stuff or how are we going to fix this part? Or go ahead, Danny. I think oh, I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say some of the stuff from the comic that we loved had to be toned down, especially mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. the Betty Jenny stuff, and right. also our our creeper stuff, our Lothar stuff. Some of it earlier on was a little more um, edgy. And I remember mm -hmm. having to take that kind of stuff down. Mm -hmm. I also I also remember one of these notes that's kind of I remember it being hard for us, and maybe it's not an unreasonable note, but I remember a note that said something like, Why do Cliff and Jenny love each other? Or why are they attracted to each other? And I remember <laughs> Gosh. You just hold up a photo of both of them for crying out loud. It's not that hard. <laughs> I think that's a good answer. <laughs> I just remember having deep psychological questions about what are they asking for? I mean, what level of of relationship understanding or dynamics are they asking for? I remember that one caused some consternation, even though it's not a complicated note. Right. So, Joe, in a case uh, like this um, where you're getting getting these notes, how much autonomy did you did you have or feel like you had to say yes and to say no I, I, again where they're coming anonymously it could be from Katzenberg yeah. or it could be from you know the the, the person working the catering right so well I've I found that you you discover how much autonomy you have during the process you know you if 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 you start out by by addressing every note um, as as well as you think they they you can uh, you know from what they meant then then they they sort of know that they have you and they can ask you to do anything but if you first of all the, the main thing is you go through the notes and you pick out the ones that are actually good notes sure so you know out of the 12 pages of notes there might be there might be five or six that are actually pretty right. good and you sort of focus on those but i've found and i'm danny i'm sure you found the same thing is that is that if you once you turn in the next draft, if things are working better, they forget they ever had those notes. 
uh, or a lot of them anyway. So, you know, there's, there's sometimes you can sort of, you know, play a game of smoke and mirrors and, and a lot of the notes go away. That's, 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 that's from a non-writer's point of view anyway. Well, and from, even from, from our point of view, it's, it's just what Joe said. You, you pick out the ones you agree with, and then the ones you don't agree with, you start strategizing how to avoid them and not do them because honestly if and it's not being a brat or anything it's it's that you know collaboration and intense collaboration from a lot of voices tends to water everything down i mean i Mm -hmm. even in game development when i was an executive i would teach this stuff is that if you're trying to get everybody to get their notes in and everybody to agree it tends to flatten everything out like i'm a i'm a big believer in singular vision so once honestly once this thing got into joe's hand our job was to really for us was to write the movie for joe based on his notes and what he needed to do not just creatively but to get it done how he wanted to get it done and and there was also by the way i'll say this i probably said it before there was a period where we worked on it intensely then there was a period where we were taken off it for a while where some other folks did some writing and then paul and i were brought back on right before it started right before we started shooting somewhere around there Mm -hmm. and then and then we helped out along the way but joe was doing stuff and i remember um a couple times we came down to the set and i know i talked about that the last time paul and i were interviewed but but mostly once the director's on we're trying to help him not just get his vision but also get it on the screen because what i remember about the rocketeer was there was kind of a squeeze what felt like a squeeze on the money mm-hmm. while he was while he was filming it and i'll let him speak to that but there were areas like the one i remember the most as a writer was one of my favorite sequences that we wrote was the action in the south seas club and what I remember was once he got there, Joe, you can tell this story because I wasn't even there, but once he got there, all of a sudden they were shaving days or not giving us the extra days. And some of the action we wrote that was some of my favorite stuff wound up getting cut very late. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the one I remember is, um, it's, I think it's, it's after the South Seas Club um, where he lands in the cement out, out right. in front of Grauman's. That was in the script for the longest time. And... Um, it was always sort of one of those things that we were afraid was going to go and it finally did you know i think we had such a we had a really hard time with the zeppelin gondola we went way over um by by days Mm. you know just because of the how complicated it was to shoot in it and after that anything that that the studio felt we didn't absolutely need was on the chopping block and and that sequence was one of them and that sequence uh, showed up in in uh, one of the sort of companion books as well as uh, I've forgotten which one. Maybe mm-hmm. Jim, you might remember better than I, I do. I think it might have been it might have been in the cassette. Well, there was there was that, but there was the there was sort of the uh, the, the visual story guide yeah, thing that summarized right, yeah. the story, right. and it had went page by page in that sequence. Uh, you know, obviously it must have been fairly late because that uh, it survived to there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how much while well, while you were doing this? How much uh, input did Dave Stevens have in in terms of giving you know, pre production and and during the production while he was working, Danny, with you and Paul and and Joe? I know you you all relied on him a bit for the feel of the story, but I was just wondering where he was weaving in and out of this. Well, Danny, you go first because I have a I have a sort of a different perspective. Yeah. So yeah, because we 
we started early with Dave, and as I probably told you before, we didn't even have any money back then, and Dave gave us a free option to develop the comic after uh, Steve Miner's option elapsed. So there were years where it was Paul and I working with Dave, and then for a while with Bill Deere. But Dave was always, I don't remember him in any way being um, forceful or it feeling oppressive to me as a writer in any way. He was more of a, um, with the script, you know, we had worked on it for so long that the basic story points he liked from for years. And, and it was mostly, I don't remember him being... Um, really very specifically directive with the script. I think he generally kind of liked it. I mean, that's kind of how I remember. But And I also definitely remember him being in our office at Warner Brothers as well, both before Joe was there, probably when Joe was there. But we spent a lot of time with Dave. And then once the movie happened, and I talked about this before, and this is where Joe will pick up, once he started shooting, the, the hard thing for Paul and I was we were shooting the Flash TV series at the same time, and we didn't have the access to the set because of our own schedule that we would have rather enjoyed and been able to spend more time with Dave and Joe and watch it get made because we were busy um, at Warner Brothers. And as I said before, I'll end with this, that the coolest night for us was the night that the Rocketeer was shooting basically in the flash sets at Warner Brothers, and we were able to hang out all night at the exterior of the South Seas Club. That was a really big uh, thing for Paul and I. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, well, from from my perspective, uh, Dave's input was much more of a visual nature. I don't I don't remember Dave ever coming to me and saying uh, and having any kind of comment on the script. And he may have done that with you, Danny, but um, mainly it was things like the the rocket pack and the and Cliff's jacket and the helmet. He had a uh, he had a lot of input on the helmet. In fact, we had. Uh, we'd had our sculptor build one and we th all thought it was pretty cool you know it, it looked great and Dave walked into the room into this into the uh, art department and saw this thing on uh, a stand on a table he says that's all wrong he says it's, it's, it, <laughs> there's nothing right about that every line is wrong all the all the uh, dimensions and all the uh, you know the ratios and everything. It's just totally wrong. And we said, okay, well, let's. You know, here's the here's the guy who's got to build it. Uh, why don't you sit down and uh, and he did. And a week later, we had a helmet that looked exactly like the one in the comic. So um, it, that also that also brings in. I, I mean, Design Setters was the ones that had done the the packs and the helmets. And I think you were talking about Kent Melton sculpting that uh, mm -hmm. the screen used one. Um, how how early along did you get rid of the uh, the comic book style uh, backpack to the to the you know the more uh, B twenty nine bomber? Yeah, well we built uh, we built a rocket pack that had just one um, exhaust on it, and the problem was it, in order for it to look like it would actually lift them off the ground, it was so big, it was like you were carrying a barrel on your back, you know, mm -hmm. and so we we decided that if we if we gave him two uh, rocket nozzles and put them side by side, we could make it much flatter and it would look more powerful at the same time. So, uh, and Dave helped sort of in the evolution of you know going from uh, the single the single barrel to the double barrel. Um, Danny, real quick question I had from one of our listeners: um, Was Marco ever in the script? 
the uh, the, the photographer, you know, back back in the Betty <laughs> yeah, days. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, uh, uh-uh. okay. no, because even in our versions, early, early, early on, we we made her more of a what she is, a struggling actress. We didn't get into the photo model yeah. stuff. I think we we lost that early on because we knew even yeah. Even from early on, that wasn't going to fly. There's no way Disney was going to sign yeah. off on that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And, and, uh, was um, the uh, you know losing Doc Savage and, and gaining uh, Howard Hughes that was that uh, far early early in the script or where? How? That was I think that was early. I'm pretty okay. sure that we did that early early on, very early. Because yeah, I did yeah, didn't yeah. we didn't we change it in the comics too in the. Did, I can't remember. Did we have Howard Hughes in the comics also? I can't recall. But I know that it was it was early on because we knew we weren't going to bring... Well, first of all, nobody knew who Doc Savage was. I mean, we knew. But yeah. it wasn't like the mass audience was going to know. And the Howard Hughes thing was a lot more fun. And it made sense for the aviation history and all yeah. that. So, so no, we liked that. And we, uh, we didn't... You know, obviously, Joe visualized it and cast, cast it, but... That was early. That was really early. I don't remember ever writing anything with Doc Savage. I don't remember ever reading anything in any yeah. draft that had right. Doc Savage in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hal, I'm sorry, I was interrupting you. You had, I think, you were about to say something. Oh no, I was just when we were talking about that uh, prototype helmet. I just was uh, was going to point out that uh, on uh, one of the Facebook discussion posts, our our, our good friend and and uh, active listener Carmine Bruno had. Posted a screenshot. I think it was probably from that uh, that uh, Magic in the Air, the making of documentary. And Joe, you're sitting there, and you can see that prototype helmet on a table in the background. It's one of the only. Really? Yeah, it's the the one before Dave had his input. As I understand it, yeah. If oh, I'm if I'm reading the thread right, and then okay. there's an image later in that thread of uh, of somebody wearing it, and it's and it's it's a little bit better look at the helmet and. It's, like the eyes are a lot lower it's got a little mm-hmm. bit more of a of a sort of a bug kind of face to it yeah, even has a green green tint on the lenses so yeah the green mm-hmm. lenses and flat bottom lenses yeah. so. anyway good, good choice on the change <laughs> yeah absolutely so interestingly that you, you talked about dave being involved in that switch from the rocket pack to the you know the comic version to the movie version mm-hmm. uh, do you remember any did he have any consternation about that uh, he did it first, but I think that he realized it in the same way that we did that it just didn't look aerodynamic. It looked it looked clunky, and in in right. the comic, you know, it's it's uh, I think he he drew it a little more streamlined and a little bit you know closer fitting to the guy's back, and you can take a lot of liberties on it, you know, in, in on paper that you can't do in uh, in three dimensions. And I sure. think he he realized you know fairly early on that it uh, we needed to make a change joe uh, you're you're known for your storyboards and uh, you're very you're a very visual thinker i was wondering when you were having these discussions with danny and paul were you sketching out things and saying why don't we do it like this and and break out a scene like that visually or did you just uh you know i i didn't i don't remember doing any storyboards at all on on the rocketeer um we had uh we had a couple of good storyboard artists but you know i did I did storyboards for ten years. <laughs> once I once I saw an opportunity to let somebody else do that, man, uh, hand over the sharpie. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, uh, um, I have a, 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 a tangentially related. Actually, my wife asked this question because we we're watching Jumanji the other day and watching the uh, special features. Um, the storyboards on Jumanji seem to have Robin Williams' character uh, looking like Billy Campbell. I was wondering, was he ever considered 
for Robin <laughs> no. Williams. Okay. No. In fact, the only the only way Jumanji got made was that Robin Williams finally said yes. They the studio had been after him for uh, for a while to do it, and he either for whatever reason he wasn't convinced. And um, I, the, when the last draft came in that answered uh, addressed some of his notes, he finally said yes. So you know he was he was the the guy we were after from almost from the beginning. Yeah, you're very loyal to your production, and and you you recast people like James Handy being in um, he was yeah. the, the fellow in the attic. Yeah, with, uh, with I was like, I know that guy. Wait a minute, yeah. he's an FBI agent. What's he James doing? James Handy's yet? great. Yeah, we had yeah. a lot of fun. Um, and Ed, but, yeah. Ed Lauder, Ed Lauder too, who has uh, since passed away. But um, Ed Lauder used to do a lot of those Sun classics, the the religious films they shot up in Utah. Oh yeah! Wow. <laughs> really? Yeah. And he he played a variety of characters of those religious characters. Oh, you have to look him up then. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'll see um, him but, throughout. And I know you use the same in um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and in Rocketeer, you use here in Arita as your uh, your cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say that you are you're more comfortable with the familiar? Or I mean, I, I was just wondering, do you try people out on different? Different films, or how, how yeah, do you? Yeah, I, I think it, you know. Once you have a relationship with somebody, uh, and it, you have a good working experience, you 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 like to you know use them again. I've I've been using Shelley Johnson for years now, and uh, he's uh, I think he's one of the greatest and very underrated, and uh, you know for that reason still affordable. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And using, you know, like you were saying with using Jim Bissell as your production mm-hmm. designer. I mean, he really knows the the language of what you're what you're trying to show on screen. Yeah. He seems to seems to carry it across. Um, I, had, I had another question about uh, music. When whenever you're talking about the script, um, like uh, when, when you're talking with Danny and Paul, did you ever consider uh, talking with them about music or where, where you were hearing it, or is that for a later production? Um, well, I always knew that I wanted to um, that I wanted to use. Um, Artie Shaw's music as source music in the film, and uh, I don't remember if I ever did. I ever give you guys a no. a, a, a CD of that? Uh-uh. Yeah, I don't remember. I didn't. We we just talked about like it was very specific. It was writing work, like what we did with Joe. It was it was not about storyboards. It was not about those things that come after. It was really about story. And very scene specific, and just improving the material. There wasn't, mm-hmm. we we weren't at that level of polish. We were in the nitty gritty of getting the script where he wanted it and getting it working. Did I tell you guys the Artie Shaw story last time we talked? Um, I, I forget. I, I don't think you did. I, I was I was sued by Artie Shaw because oh. of because <laughs> no, of this the, did not come up. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, because of the Rocketeer, uh, because he said that the band leader. In the South Seas Club, looked like him. <laughs> so Fair the day enough. we cast the day we cast the the band leader, who was really just a glorified extra, the casting uh, person brought in th- three guys. One was short and fat. One was really tall and skinny. And there was a guy in the middle. <laughs> and I said, "I'll take that guy in the middle." He just happened to look like Artie Shaw. Wow. So. Um, yeah, so he wasn't, Artie Shaw wasn't after my money, he was after Disney's money, and I think right. they settled out of court for something, you know, 
Well, he, he probably it's owns silly. his own scallop now. So just another question about the music. When you did um, "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids," the music that James Horner used was, mm-hmm. of course, uh, uh, Scott's uh, "Powerhouse." Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, did oh, you, yeah. besides Art Art Show, did you give anything to to James Horner to say I want it to sound like this, or did you just no? Because I didn't want I didn't want the sound uh, I didn't want the score to sound like it was. 30s music. I wanted it to, you know, to. Yeah. In, in that way, you contrast the Artie Shaw's music with James Horner's music, and I think they both uh, they both end up sort of being more powerful for that reason. But uh, uh, when when uh, James Horner first played that uh, the main theme, the opening title, um, he played on the piano, and he was almost just playing it with two fingers. <laughs> You know, he. I went out to his studio, and he he said, I, I, "I'm I'm thinking of something. I want to hear what you think about it." And he sat down, and it's almost like he's picking out a tune, literally with two fingers. He da 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 da, and it was even played with two fingers. It was so amazing and so powerful. I said, "That's fantastic," you know. And I, I still, to this day, I think it's one of the best things James Horner has ever written. It's just no, I beautiful. agree. I agree. They use it in the parks. They still use it in the parks now. I know. That's what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 timeless, and it's just. A, I mean, you, you hear that, and all of a sudden, you just want to you want to be up in the air flying. It's mm-hmm. just amazing. Well, I, I I wish we could talk longer, but I know we all have different places to go, so maybe we can we can get together sometime in the future. Uh, but uh, this has been a fantastic uh, uh, week with you, Joe and uh, Danny. Thank you for coming back and and talking some more. We're we're always interested in in hearing what the what the office chat is like when. <laughs> when things, when you're putting things together. Well, what's what's really ironic and interesting is it took six years from the time we discovered the Rocketeer till the time it got made, and 30 years later, our latest movie took six years, and <laughs> and Paul passed away before he saw it finished, and it'll be out next spring. It's called uh, The Five Bloods, directed by Spike Lee, and. Um, it's like so Paul and I are like 30 years between films, which is really weird. Wow. And and beyond his his lifespan. So um it'll be out in, I think I say next spring, yeah, next spring. In the spring, spring of yeah, 2020. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People and, are listening. And of course we were so so sad to hear of uh of Paul's passing. And well, I'll tell you all something what a loss is that, that was. Honestly, when he did that that talk with you guys, um he was really into it. Like Paul was usually pretty laid back about doing stuff like that. And he went out and bought himself a headset. And I realized as he was talking, because we were remote, that he was he knew he was dying and and, <sighs> and he did it for his kids. So uh, so thank you guys for that. Oh yeah. my gosh. No. Yeah. no it, thank it you was... and, and thank him and and boy may he uh, may he rest in peace. What a what a loss that was. Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> to put it to, to put it bluntly, wow. but honestly, I'll say this: his last wish was he said, "Danny, I just want one more credit," and he's getting it on the Five Bloods. So um, sure. I'm very happy right. about that. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Wow. But the Rocketeer was always our favorite, and sort of for some reasons, the highlight of our career in many ways. If somebody says, "What do you do?" If I say I'm a writer, I always say, you "Ever see the Rocketeer?" It's always it's always. Sort of, we did a bunch of TV and a bunch of stuff, but the Rocketeer is the one that Paul and I always mentioned. And and uh, thanks, Joe. Hey, thanks, Danny, and thanks, Paul. Uh, <laughs> well, it wasn't, you know, 
The Rocketeer was not easy to make, but I have to say I had more fun on that picture than anything before or since. It was wow. just, uh, it was just, you know, so much fun, and it was it was arduous, and you know, there was a lot of hair pulling with <laughs> with the studio, and uh, you know, otherwise. But it was uh, it was a great it was a great experience, and it shows. And I think you I think the other thing that Paul and I were really impressed with was. Your understanding and love of aircraft, Joe. I think I think that that we knew it from the time we met you, and and I think and Dave Stevens knew it, and other people like Mike Kaluta who was following along knew it, and I think it really shows in the film because the aerial yeah. stuff pre CG is awesome, and I don't know how many people would have pulled that off if they didn't love airplanes and love getting up there with them. So thanks for that too. Thank You're you. Here. Thanks, Danny. Yeah. Good to hear. Oh. Well, on, on that note, we'll, pa we'll pause here for, the, uh, for our special uh, presentation here. Uh, thank you, everybody, f uh, for listening. Uh, Joe, thanks for being on. Danny, uh, thank, thank you. you. And oh, my we'll pleasure. Danny, we'll let's, let's not wait another 30 years before we uh, <laughs> see each other. Yeah, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I've got a lovely little project for you, Joe. Great. <laughs> no, great. it's, oh, it's to great to be a talking. fly on the wall for that one. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, guys. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Thank Great. You. We will see you again. And for the rest of us, thanks for being with us. We will be on in the future for more special episodes. So stay tuned. And until next time, over and out.